This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word. Would you take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Genesis? If you're wondering, I've preached, I think, six times, all six out of the book of Genesis. You say, why is that? It's the only book I've ever preached out of in my entire life, so I'm going to stay right there. I'm kidding. It is, I've preached out of many, but it's been a huge, huge blessing to me. Genesis chapter 18. Well, um, Debbie and I have looked forward, so forward, to coming here and uh, to being a part of the service and uh, to being a part of the ministry here. We Absolutely love who we call a Baptist church. I, I give your pastor a hard time because uh, he always says we're like brothers. He's the young, smarter, better looking brother with a beard. And, and that's just kind of how our relationship is. He lies the whole time. Um, now, uh, our relationship is just one that's built on friendship and love and, and just having a good time. Probably the greatest compliment I give or get is when his children call me Uncle Chris. And you say, why? Because it's really just, uh, that's kind of how we feel. My kids call um, Anthony and Angela, Uncle Anthony and Angela, and uh, it's just kind of how they are. Your pastor is a, uh, a counselor, not only to me, uh, but to my kids, and he helps them. Uh, sometimes, uh, you ever know sometimes kids need to hear something, but they don't want to hear it from their parents? You know why that is? Because they're stupid. <sighs> It's just truth. Their foolishness is bound in the heart of every child, the Bible says. And I feel like my kids sometimes get a double portion. So sometimes it's just like, they're like, Dad, I'm going to call Uncle Anthony. I'm like, you're 25. Call who you want to. And he'll, they'll call Anthony or uh, Brother Anthony or Angela, and, and they will just ask questions. And, and to be honest with you, I don't ever know what is said. I honestly don't know what is said. I, I don't micromanage that counsel. I've never asked a follow-up question. I figure if they're getting counsel from my younger, smarter, bearded brother, then it's going to be good, and, and it is always a blessing. So the relationship that we have, sometimes you'll hear us in the pulpit, especially if you're at the men's thing or whatever, and you're like, man, do you guys like each other? Not really, but God told us to be friends, and so and I'm kidding. We absolutely love, I love your pastor, um, and I have a brother, my brother lives in Florida, and I love my brother dearly, um, but I'm closer to Pastor King in many ways than I am my own brother, and uh, I, I don't mean that any, that's not a disparaging statement towards my brother at all, I just absolutely am so close your pastor and Angela and I love Thatcher and McKeeley, Tallulah, Vanderlei. I love every one of their kids. I pray for them all the time. I think at the end of the service we need to take a love offering and buy Thatcher a razor to finish the job. <laughs> it's like dude got halfway and I'm like how creepy can I look? All right, there you go. There you go. I'm watch a horror movie. Here I am. You know? <laughs> Welcome to Transylvania, you know, or whatever. So, 
Uh, he just reminded me of the Count Chocula guy from those creepy cereals that we used to eat. And so uh, I love you, Thatcher. I'm pretty proud of you. I really am very proud of the growth in your life and the steps for the Lord you've taken. And, and I've always loved you. Uh, it's a joy. Uh, not everybody knows the story of Trey and Lee coming here, the Williams family coming here. And I don't have time tonight to tell the story because um, I've been told that the Kona uh, shave ice truck is coming. And I better be done in plenty of time, and or else you're just leaving anyway. Because this one, Pastor King said, we love the Bible, but we love shave ice more than Jesus. So we're out of here. I'm, he did not say that. I'm being stupid. I promise. Uh, but I absolutely love the Williams family. One of the uh, saddest days in the life of Canyon Ridge was the day that they left, and yet it was one of the happiest days in the life of Canyon Ridge. Uh, we tell people all the time we're we're kind of like a depot for people. We want them to, if they're going to leave them to leave our ministry and go somewhere and serve the Lord. If the military pays for them to do that, praise God. It's been a big year of moves for us. I don't know, including the Williams, something like 65 or 70 people have moved away this year so far. We'll have a few more people that move away, and it's just been a, it's been one of those years, and yet God keeps bringing more people. More people are getting saved every week. We love it, but Trey and Lee, an invaluable part of our ministry. Um, Pastor referenced the the uh, air conditioning and all that. Lee ran our daycare and we started our daycare and all of the profits from our daycare go to for money to be given away. And so we took $10,000 of our, our profit that year and and just gave it here and, and to this ministry. And then he gave uh, to a ministry in Cambodia as well and, and just absolutely love it. So I love this church. I'm honored to be here. Um, I'm always honored to be here. I love the fellowship, getting to know people people and getting to be around you guys and and spend time with you um, the hotel room has been great you guys always take such good care of us the meals I'm not on vacation yet I actually start vacation tomorrow and yet I feel like I've eaten way more food than I should have already we've eaten at Mac 24 7 twice how many of you have never been to Mac 24 7 really oh my soul let me promise you it's amazing. Go there, get the pancakes, get get the pancakes with the cream cheese frosting on them, the Calbee beef, and the burgers, and eat it all in one meal, all right? All in one meal. You'll be glad you did. I love it. Hawaii has the best pancakes in the world, in my opinion, and I, I've loved every second. And then the services, you've been par participating well and engaged and very, very thankful. Thankful for your men and the way you like preaching. So let's finish it up tonight with Genesis chapter 18 Genesis chapter 18 now we've been going through the book of Genesis quite a bit and by the time we get to Genesis chapter 18 Abraham is now this morning he was in his mid-80s tonight as we get to 18 he's 99 years old he is 99 years old God has finally come to him in verse number one in the plain of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And if you were to read down through the whole passage of Scripture, down to verse number uh, 9, uh, nine, ten, eleven, is where God says to Abram, uh, verse number 11, now Abram and Sarah were old and well-stricken in age. That phrase, well-stricken in age, just means they were really, really old. And you say, well, how old? Abram's 99. That's really, really old. Especially when you start thinking about having children. If your life plan is to have a child at 99, dude, 
You want to rethink that. You really want to rethink that. Sarah's in her 80s, and Abram's 99 years old. And there the Scripture says in verse number 11, it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Now, what was necessary for her to have children stopped a long time ago, and she's told that she's going to have children. Therefore, Sarah laughed uh, within herself, saying, uh, after I am waxed old, old uh, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being lo uh, old also? And the Lord said, Why did Sarah laugh? Or wherefore did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I have surety bear a child which am old? And then God asked this question that we, it's not even part of the message, but it's really a great question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? <laughs> it's like, Is anything too hard for me? And then obviously the answer to that is no. And Sarah denied laughing in verse number 15. And, and Abram is talking with the Lord, and the Lord gets up to leave. And there's two angels who are with the Lord. And we believe, again, as I use that word this morning, this is a Christophany, that Jesus is there. He's the one appearing before Abraham. There's two, Abram, there's two, or Abraham by this point, there's two angels that are with him. And it's, it's like they have a conversation, and, and Abram's standing right there, but they leave Abraham out of it, and Jesus says to the angels, shall I hide from Abraham the thing that I'm going to do? And, and one angel one says, I don't know, you're God, you know. And Abram's there, he's like, don't hide it from me. Now, that's not there, it's in the Chadwick Street version, you can get it at your local Christian bookstore. Uh, but Abraham's just going like, well, tell me what it is. Tell me what it is. Tell me what it is. And in verse number 17, the Lord says, shall I hide it? Seeing Abraham shall surely, verse number 18, become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him. Hey, dads, listen to this. If you're a dad or ever want to be a dad, listen to this. Listen to these words that are about to be said about Abraham. Listen to the testimony that God has for Abraham. Not the testimony that Sarah has, Abram's wife has. Not the testimony that his children have, but the testimony that God has. For I know him, that he will command. He's not a touchy-feely dude here. Oh, well, we're wondering whether our kids are... No, no, he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abram that which he hath spoken of him. I just want to say, God understood something about Abraham very, very clearly. God knows all, obviously, but God understood something and declares something in his word about Abraham that Abraham is going to make sure that his children live for the Lord. I, I, you're the Sunday night crowd. I'm so proud of you for being here. But I'm just, I just want us to understand this, that there was no doubt in the Lord's mind that Abraham was going to make sure that his children lived, served, and followed Christ. It wasn't going to be a debate in Abram's family whether or not we're going to church. It wasn't going to be a debate in Abram's family whether or not we're going to love the Lord. It wasn't going to be a debate in Abram's family about the feelings of Buford. Buford, if you weren't at men's retreat, is my word name for every boy illustration. Buford's feelings didn't matter to Abraham. Uh, uh, his daughter's feelings, don't, he, which he will have eventually, wouldn't matter to Abraham. Abraham had one fundamental desire and one fundamental hope that his his children would follow God. I'll help you. Amen. 
It's Sunday night, but we're not done yet. Now, if I've preached six times, you've listened six times, but we're still going somewhere. I mean, we're getting there. And Abram made absolute certainty. We are going to raise our children to follow Christ, whether they have good days or bad, whether they're in it or they're not. But if you're in this house, you're going to follow Christ. That's what Abram said. And the Lord said, and God, Jesus is talking here, i got to show this guy this stuff. And the Lord said, because of the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, and this is what God says, I will go down now and see whether they have all together, uh, let me read that correctly, whether they have done all together according to the cry of it, which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. Now, I want to clear something up here because there could be some confusion in verse 21. The Lord knew exactly what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, why does it say this, that he'll go down and see whether it's all done together or all? God is, before he brings judgment on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in that region, he goes down to let men know that he never judges unjustly. The judgment of God is always just. It is always right. And, and we know, because we read the next chapters, which we won't deal with tonight at all, but we know without a doubt the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are about to be destroyed. Chapter 19, God's going to, to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But before he does, they, there is an investigation that is made. God is just letting Abram know and everyone else know that he is a righteous judge. He's letting them know that. And in verse 22, And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abram drew near to the Lord and said, and, and this is key here, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked. Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? The story is told of a young pastor in his first pastorate in Philadelphia who was in the church parsonage where he was pastoring. A parsonage, if you don't know, is an invention by some men that I wouldn't want, but it's where the church provides housing for the pastor in a house that is owned by the church. And the pastor's in the parsonage, and one night a knock came to his door. It was a Tuesday night, as the story is told, and the pastor goes and he opens the door and there's a, straw, a small contingent of men and, that are there and they ask to come inside and the pastor invites them inside of his humble little house and they come in and the pastor's family's there and his wife and she offers them something to drink and they sit down around the table and some sit around that area that's there and, and the pastor is visiting with them and then he says, gentlemen, uh, to what do I owe the privilege of you stopping by tonight? One man said, well, Pastor, I'm kind of the spokesperson for the group, and I wanted to tell you this, that we've come to the conclusion that you're not a very good preacher. As a matter of fact, you're not a strong preacher. And in the usual order of things, you will fail here. You will not succeed. But we have covenanted together to pray for you every Sunday morning seeking God's blessing on your life and God's power on your preaching. Every Sunday morning, this small group of 
about eight men. We are going to pray for you every Sunday morning because we can hear you and we can tell you're not very good. <sighs> to which every preacher goes, I agree I'm not very good, but that's a little discouraging, but I am thankful that you are praying. That little group of prayer warriors turned into, over time, 1,000 people who met together every Sunday morning before church to pray for the famed preacher and maybe eventually the most influential preacher in American history, Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman. Now, many of you probably don't know who Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman is, but you owe a great debt of gratitude to the ministry and the preaching of Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman and those 1,000 people who prayed for him every Sunday. It was Alfred Lloyd Tennyson who said, more things are brought by prayer than ever this world dreams of. More things are done by prayer than ever this world could dream of. As we enter into this message on intercession, a message of praying for one another and praying for those who are in tremendous need, I have to ask this question. How many of us are seriously and systematically praying for other people? I mean, like, if you stopped praying for somebody or something, would, would that even be noticed? Would it ever be recognized? You stopped praying, and people are like, something's happened. I don't know what's happened, but something has gone on. Something is not right. Something, something is, some sort of power is lost. I mean, the question has to be asked, what effect or what difference is our prayer life making? The Scripture's quite clear. God's called us to pray. We're called to be people of prayer. First Timothy chapter 2, verse number 2. Would you turn there with me real quickly? First Timothy chapter two, verse number two. All the way over in the New Testament, that little pastoral epistle. First Timothy chapter two. Verse number one. I exhort thee therefore that first of all supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now I need to remind you that Nero was by no means a, a great Christian leader of the world at the time, and yet Paul commands Timothy, and Paul commands Timothy to teach the church at Ephesus, the church that Timothy's the pastor of, to be a man of prayer and to pray for kings and all men and all that are in authority. Why? That those who are doing the praying could lead a quiet and peaceable life and do it in godliness and honesty. Turn back to the left a little bit, would you? In Ephesians chapter 6, we'll stay in Genesis chapter 18, but I just want you to see these verses on intercessory prayer. Ephesians chapter 6. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for who? For all saints. 
It was Jesus who said in Luke chapter 22, verse number 32, it was Jesus who said, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. In short, the question needs to be asked. The question has to be asked. Do your prayers do any good for anyone? Do they? It's not a condemning question. It's a, hopefully a thought-provoking question. It was John Wesley who said this, God will do nothing but in answer to prayer. There are several types of prayer. We all probably do some of them every day. There's adoration, me giving worth to God, adoring God. It's a conceptual synonym, though not identical, a synonym to worship, adoration, thanking God for who he is and what he's done. There's confession, me confessing my faults, my sins, my failings to the Lord. Uh, there's thanksgiving, where I'm thankful for what God has done. There's supplication or petition, me asking God to do something. But something unique on its own is the prayer of intercession. Intercession is a believer who struggles and often wrestles in prayer, praying on behalf of another. Intercession is a believer who struggles and wrestles in prayer on behalf of another, who often struggles and wrestles in prayer on behalf of another. Intercession is, is praying in such a way that I'm fundamentally concerned for somebody else. The other types of prayer, they're not intercessory prayers. The other types of prayer only require two people, but intercession requires three people. Well, what do you mean intercession requires three people? Well, it, it requires the one who's doing the praying, the one who speaks. It requires the one that we're speaking to and the one that we are speaking for. The one who does the speaking, the one who is spoken to, and the one who is spoken for. There's three presupposed realities. The need to be spoken for, the power on the part of the one spoken to, and the contact between both parties. The need to be spoken for, the power to be spoken to, and the contact between both parties. Let me illustrate it. There was a time when I wasn't necessarily the world's greatest teenager. I had to give that award away one time. <laughs> and I remember one time I got in a lot of trouble with my dad. And my mom wasn't at home at the time. And my dad was just, I was about 17 years old. And my dad was just very upset with me. And so I just got sent to my room and, and told that I was going to be on restriction until 2045. And I wasn't going to be allowed to eat, sleep, or drink until 2045. Like, just go to your room and don't ever come out until 2045. Well, Dad, what if you're dead by then? Well, it doesn't matter. You're stuck there. And it was, it was not a good argument that we had by any stretch of the imagination. I was totally in the wrong. The Bible commands me to honor my parents and, and obey them and all of that. And I was trying to do my own thing. And my parents were trying to keep me in line. And I was wrong on every level. And I went to my room. And, and my dad didn't totally understand what I was trying to do. I wasn't conveying it well. But I was totally in the wrong, no doubt about it. And, and my mom comes home. And I'm sure that they debriefed one another. And, and my mom, that beautiful little German lady comes down. My mom was never nice. She was always mean. Uh, she was just, I'm kidding. She wasn't always mean. There were a few times she was nice. I can remember both of them. Um, 
But my mom comes down to the room where I'm at and, and uh, in my bedroom, and, and my, my mom didn't knock on the door. Knocking was not a privilege or a right in our family. That was considered something that was done by rich people, and we weren't rich. And so my parents' idea was if you want us to knock on a door, rent your own house, or buy your own house, then we'll knock. Otherwise, this is our property. It's our house. And no, you don't have any rights at all here. It is our door, our house. And if you have a problem with us not knocking on your door, no problem at all. We'll take the door off the hinges and you'll have no door. Uh, anybody raised with good parents like mine? Anybody at all? Yeah. You say, how'd you raise your kids? Same way. Worked for me. Look at the product. Um, <laughs> and so my parents are there and, and my mom comes in the room and I still remember myself. I was laying on my bed and my mom talked to me and, and there was a misunderstanding and I'll never forget. My mom, after a long conversation I won't go into, my mom looked at me and kind of calmed me down and everything was calm and she said, okay, just sit here and I'm going to go talk to your dad and I'm going to see if we can get you off restriction before 2045. I think she didn't want me in her house till 2045. And she went up and she talked to my dad and the restriction was, you know, removed. It was like, it was, I don't know, a week or something like that. I don't remember what it all turned out to be. But that's the principle of intercession. I needed someone to speak on my behalf. My dad had the power to change the, the punishment. But I needed somebody to go in between. Because my dad wasn't going to hear from me because I was too proud and arrogant and pompous and haughty and a jerk on every level. And I wasn't going to say anything to him. And so I needed somebody to go to him for me. Well, there's somebody in the middle, the contact person was my mother. Listen to me. Here's the word. My mom was the intercessor. My mom was the one who, who rested between the two of us. That was my mom. Abram is going to God. Why is he going to God? He's going to God because God has the power and God has the authority. And Abram stands before the Lord. And notice in verse number 25, at the end of verse number 25, shall, he's talking to the Lord, and he says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Shall not the one who administers judgment do that which is right or just in God's eyes? That's what the word right is, to do right in God's eyes. He's like, shouldn't God act like God? Will not the judge of all the earth do right? God, will not you do right? Right? Of course God can't do wrong. Of course God cannot make a mistake. Of course God will always do right. Of course God will, will not make an exception for anything that is done. You know, when it comes to problems, struggles, challenges, and difficulties, most of us in the room become very prolific talkers. We talk a lot. We talk a lot. We can give counsel and we can give advice. There's so much talking, so much manipulating, so much politicking because we don't believe God can do what needs to be done. If you believe that God will work as the righteous judge, then the end result is prayer. The end result is prayer. 
If you believe that God is a righteous judge, then the end result is prayer for people who really need prayer. I find it sometimes in our church, get a little bit irritated at Canyon Ridge Baptist Church because sometimes people are most passionate about prayer when they're praying for their 94-year-old great-grandmother who's been serving the Lord since she was nine years old, and she just wants to go to heaven, and they're praying that she'll live to be a few more years. Oh, pastor, please pray for great-grandma Ethel. I mean, she's just a woman of God, and she, it was through her that my mom got saved, and, and my uncles got saved, and I got saved, and pastor, she's, she's just dying of old age. But you pray that she'll live just a little bit longer. And I get the human side of that. I get the human side of it. But Ethel's over there praying the same, a different prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, please take me home. I want to be with you. I'm tired of being here on this earth. And we're praying that she stays. And she's praying that she goes. And we're just like, oh, God. And all of our intercession is trying to keep Grandma Ethel on this earth eating tapioca pudding. I just like the word pudding. It's a fun word to say. I know how to say pudding, but I don't like it. But if we really believe, verse number 25, that God is the righteous judge who will always do right, then we would understand that verse in Matthew that talks about broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrow is the way that leads to life everlasting. And if we truly believe that God is the righteous judge, would we not intercede for our friends that are on the broad road that leads to destruction? Would we not sincerely pray for our friends and our neighbors and our family members who are lost and undone and on their way to hell? I mean, wouldn't that be an issue of prayer for us? Wouldn't that be an issue of intercession for us? Don't we really believe that? Like, like no, there's the God because He is the righteous judge. See, you gotta understand this point. Righteous judge means the decision has already been made. Righteous judge doesn't mean doesn't mean that maybe he'll do right or possibly he'll do right. No, he absolutely will do what he has said he will do. He, it's absolute. There will be no variance. There there will be no deliberation. God knows exactly what will be done for the people who don't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. For the people who don't know the Lord, should not we then be people of tremendous intercession for those lost folks in our communities that need? Jesus that we have influence with? Shouldn't we be people who are consistent in prayer for those who are lost? There's probably somebody here tonight who's lost. You say, well, you say that word lost. That's a Christian term, right? And sometimes Christians use Christian terms in a Christian church. So let me just explain to you what lost is. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible uses two words about salvation. One is lost and one is saved. We are all born, listen to me, we are all born lost. Let me say it again. We are all born lost. You, you don't spend eternity in hell separated from God because you have sinned. You spend eternity in hell separated from God because you are born a sinner. Did you hear me? Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You are born a sinner. We have all come short of the glory of God. It doesn't, it doesn't make you better or worse than anybody else. The ground is level at sin. We're all born in sin, the Bible says. And in sin my, did my mother conceive me. I was conceived in sin, David said. I'm born in sin. I am a sinner just like you. We are all in the same boat. We are, the Bible word, lost saved well what does that mean 
Saved are people who were once lost, who are no longer lost. They have given their life to Jesus Christ. They put their faith, their trust, their hope in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And they're no longer lost. Now they are saved. To analogize it this way, everybody in the world is born in the middle of the ocean and will one day drown. But Jesus wants to save anyone and everyone who will allow him to save them. And when they experience conviction, do they put their faith and trust in Christ alone? And if you'll put your faith and trust in Christ alone, he promises to save you. And there is no respect of persons with God. He doesn't care what continent you're from. He doesn't care what country you're from. He doesn't care what language you speak. He doesn't care how much money you have. He doesn't care who your parents are. He doesn't care what kind of job you have. He doesn't care what you've done in your past. His blood will wash away the sin of anyone who will call on the name of Jesus to save them. It's an absolute guarantee. So if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you are lost, you don't have to leave lost. You can leave saved. You can have your eternal soul redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Your whole life can be turned upside down for the good by Jesus Christ, if you will, by faith alone means you can't do any good to do it it's by faith alone trusting only in jesus christ by faith alone and grace alone grace meaning you understand there's no works that you can do by faith you trust jesus only dependent upon his grace he promises to give you eternal life and he makes that promise for anyone anywhere anytime all over the world until his soon return so if you're not saved tonight get saved but if we believe that don't we think that we ought to be intercessors? This passage gives us four simple, and I will be quick, principles of intercession. Number one, intercession rests on a relationship with God. Intercession rests on a relationship with God. Genesis fifteen six, the Bible says, Abraham believed God. People today have a relationship with God the same way that Abraham did. Abraham is a man who is interceding for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, intercession requires three people. It's the one to whom you pray. It's the one for whom you pray. Uh, the one uh, to whom you pray. The one for whom you are praying. And the one who does the praying. And Abraham is going to God. And Abraham is saying, God, I need you. And Abraham, it's so beautiful here in verse 23. Abraham draws her to the Lord and says, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Abraham has a relationship with God. Abraham is close to the Lord. Abraham's walking with the Lord. We saw today he wasn't perfect. We, if we were to continue studying, you'd see he makes mistakes. His relationship with the Lord is not dependent on him, his perfection. His relationship with the Lord is dependent on his repentance. When a just man falls seven times, he rises up again. He's made mistakes. He gets back up. He repents of them, and he begins to live for the Lord. That's what Abraham's relationship is resting on. Abraham's relationship is resting on the goodness of God and the reality that God will hear him. That's who Abraham is, and that's what he's doing. If you're going to intercede, you must be in a right relationship with God. You must, listen to me, you must be in a right relationship with God. I have to ask, are you? Not are you doing a lot for God. Not are you doing, having a lot of activity. Not do you have a Bible study. Not do you even attend church. Obviously, you're here. I'm super pumped that you're here. But the question is, do you have a right, are you in a right relationship with God? Are you saved? Do you know the Lord? Are you walking with God? Do you fellowship with the Lord? 
We know that sin in our life will hinder our prayer life. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 7 says, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Giving honor unto the wife is under the weaker vessel, as being heirs together the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. We know that sin hinders our prayer. Even the sin of being a crummy husband hinders your prayer. Abraham's obedience in verse number 19, the passage that, script, that God describes who Abraham is, is grounded in the grace of God and guided by the Word of God and maintained by the goodness of God. His relationship rests in, or his intercession rests in his relationship with God. Number two, intercession is based on God's willingness to be approached. Intercession is based on God's willingness to be approached. Most have wondered about prayer. Have, I, I have. I'm, I'm a big, I try to, I, I don't try to, it just comes naturally. I think dumb things. I'm a dumb thinker. I think weird things, I think dumb things, and sometimes this is what I think. And I know, especially if you're an engineer, you have no idea what's even going on right now with a guy like this. You totally get Pastor King, you don't get Pastor Chadwick at all, because I'm just so different than those guys where everything, like when you, if you get excited about Excel spreadsheets, let's not be friends. I already have, anybody in here like Excel spreadsheets or, okay, let's be friends. I love you in Jesus' name. The Bible says to comfort the feeble-minded. That's what I'll try to do in our relationship for the rest of my life. I'll work so hard at that. But there, there are people that they really, really think that, and, and when they make a decision, how many of you are these people like, well, I make a decision and I forget about it. I never, have, I never even think about it again. That decision was made one time. Anybody like that in here? Like, I'm a one, one and done guy. There's a few of you. I'm not that way. I'm a guy like, I'm going to make a decision, but okay, why? I made a decision, and it's, it's, it's not a good thing. Please don't ever be like me. You'll live, you'll just feel bad most of your life. But I've, I've asked this question so many times. Why, why does a sovereign God need me to pray to him? He knows the problem greater than I do. Why don't I just go, Lord, you know what needs to be done? Do it. I mean, I mean, honestly, I, that sometimes that goes through my head. Like, like I, I, why do I have to pray for it? Why don't I go do something else? I'm kind of a type A-driven guy. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a move first kind of person. I'm an act first kind of person. Let's get this job done. Let's figure this out. Let's do the best we can. So, Lord, you know what needs to be done. You do it. God, if you're sovereign and omniscient, why do I need to pray? Sometimes I think that way. It was Alistair Begg who said, God requires intercessory, intercessory prayer as a necessary wheel in the machinery of his providence. God requires intercessory prayer as a necessary wheel in the machinery of his providence. God gives us, you and I, the responsibility to move the wheel. God gives us the responsibility to move the wheel. In Genesis chapter 18, verse number 17, the Lord says, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? You know, God shares his thoughts with his friends. It's John 15, 15. He says, Herefore, and I call you not servant, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. 
For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. God's just sharing his thoughts with his friends. I've called you friends. You are my friends. If you do what I tell you to do, Abraham is just a friend of God, the Bible says. He, God loves him. And intercession, intercession is based on God's willingness to be approached. And Abraham is going before the Lord. And, and Abraham's just a friend of God. And God is speaking to him. And God is sharing his thoughts with Abraham. You say, well, what on earth does that have to do with me? Okay, so I thought about this. So, so let me see if I can help you. How many of you have ever just been going through your day and somebody comes to mind? Anybody ever have that happen? Like you're just going through your day and somebody comes to mind. How many of you ever go through your day and somebody comes to mind and they're irritating? Like, like they come to mind, you'll be honest enough, like when I think about them, oh man, that person ticks me off. And, and they just tick you off. And you just and, and, and if you're like me, type A, or maybe you're not, I don't know how other people think. I only know how I think. I hear how my wife thinks, but I can't fathom it. Um, I literally can't. But when, when thoughts come to mind of people, sometimes I, I go through my mind and I begin to run scenarios on how I can help improve their life. Come on, don't tell me I'm the only one in this whole room that acts that way. I don't necessarily say anything unless I'm asked or in the same room with them, one of the two. But I don't necessarily say anything, but I think about them like, oh, Pastor King, oh, Anthony, oh, man, he would be so much more attractive if he would shave that mane off his face. So I text him, hey, I'm praying for you to lose hair, you know, or, or whatever. I'm, I'm being facetious and foolish to, to try to prove a much bigger point that thoughts come to our mind about people, and the first thing that we try to do so often is, is that we try to, come on, help me out if I'm, if I'm on point a little bit. The first thing we try to do is figure out another person's problems, and then we try to figure out how we can help them fix their problems, the problems they have that we don't like. You ever think that maybe God's just sharing something with you as the friend of God because he wants you to do nothing else other than pray for that person? Because why did you just suddenly think about your barber while you're eating shave ice and getting ready for dinner? You don't eat shave ice while getting ready for dinner, but you get the idea. That might be your dinner, I don't know. But, but you get the idea. Why did you think about it? You think God just suddenly brought that to your mind just so that you could have something to be ticked off about? I would submit to you that God brought that to your mind so that you would pray for that individual. So you would intercede for that individual. That, that, that something might be going on at that very moment. A couple of weeks ago, God brought a family in our church to mind. A man in our church to mind. And I just started praying for him. And I I'd, I'd studied this message. I hadn't preached it yet, but I'd studied for this message. And, and God really convicted me about my crummy intercession. And so I began to really pray for this brother. No lie. And, and, and I remember I looked at the clock, and it was 622 when I was praying for him. 622 when I was praying for him. He comes to me the next day. He said, hey, pastor, I was able to lead a co-worker to Christ. And he starts telling me the story. He goes, and, and I don't know what to tell you, but he goes, I'll just never forget this. He and I hadn't talked. He said, but at 6.22, that guy asked me how he could know for sure heaven would be his home. At 6.22. 
You say, well, pastor, that doesn't happen very often. No, probably doesn't happen very often. I don't know. Maybe it happens more often than we like to think. But here's the biblical principle, that intercession is based on God's willingness to be approached, and God will often share things with his friends, and God simply wants you to pray for them. Well, why does God need that? Because it's a necessary mechanism in the wheel of prayer, and God desires it, and God expects you and I to be people of prayer. So you've got a jacked-up kid somewhere that's really, really struggling. Instead of constantly trying to manipulate and control and, and contrive and, and force things on that, that child or that, child, that, that teenager, that young adult. How about if, if you just stop and you begin to intercede for that person? Because obviously your talk is not working. Maybe your intercession will. Maybe you have a parent that's lost and you have a broken relationship and you would love nothing more than to see them saved and the relationship restored. Maybe every time they come to mind, God just wants you to intercede. Number three, and these will be much shorter, intercession demands humility. It demands humility. Abraham asked the question to God in verse 23, wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? Verse 27, and Abraham answered and said, behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which I am but dust and ashes, which am but dust and ashes. It just demands humility. John Stott said at every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility is the greatest friend. It demands humility to say there's no words that can come out of my mouth that are going to do anything here. There's nothing that I have to offer here. All that I have, God, is to come to you and ask you to do the work that only you're capable of doing. This person is lost and they don't know you. God, convict them. God, save their soul. God, work on their heart. God, give me boldness to share the gospel when given opportunity. God, my child has run away, run away from you. They're doing their own thing. God, God, work on their heart. There's no words that I can say that are helping them. God, help me. God, our country is in peril. God, our pastor needs power. There's nothing that, that can be done humanly uh, to, to help hearts be touched. God, just do the work that you promised to do. Intercession demands humility. I don't have any words of wisdom. Human words don't really affect the heart over the long term anyway, do they? It has to be a work of God. And then finally tonight, intercession requires perseverance. Verse number 24, per adventure there will be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou destroy and not spare the city, the place rather, for 50 righteous that are therein? Verse 28, per adventure there lack five of the 50 righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for the lack of five? And he said, if I find there 40 and five, I will not destroy it. Verse 29, per adventure thou shalt be 40 found there. And he said, I'll not destroy it for 40. Verse number 30, peradventure there shall be 30 found there. And he said, I'll not do it if I find 30. 31, verse 31, peradventure there be 20 found there. And he said, I'll not destroy it for 20's sake. And 32, oh, let my, my Lord be angry. I'll speak yet but this once. So this is the last thing I'm going to say. That was Abraham, not me. Peradventure 10 shall be found there. 
And he said, I'll not destroy it for 10 seconds. You know what Abraham's doing? He's just persevering. He's interceding and he's persevering. He went to the Lord. He wasn't trying to manipulate the Lord. He was trying to show great humility. And he's just saying, Lord, I need you to do work. And he's staying after it day after day, time after time, praying, going before the Lord. Intercession requires, listen to me, intercession requires perseverance. Some of you have lost family members. Persevere. Don't quit. Keep praying. Some of you work with folks who are on their way to hell. They're undone. You, you work out with them. You go to the gym. You go to work with them. You're in your neighborhood. Whatever the case may be, they're friends, family members, cousins, uncles, aunts. Keep praying. Some of you have friends who are, are saved, but they're struggling. Keep praying. Some of you have financial needs. Keep praying. Your church needs prayer. Your pastor needs prayer. Keep praying. Every time God brings them to mind, keep praying. Persevere. Don't stop praying. Don't stop interceding. It would, it would be amazing to see what would happen if everybody in this room tonight just banded together to pray for God's blessing and God's power on who we call a Baptist church and that every member would be faithful and serve the Lord and be a people of prayer and serve the Lord in prayer and, 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 and be passionate about the gospel. It would be amazing to see what God could do. Persevere. One day, George Mueller, that famous preacher in London of years gone by, the man who opened many orphanages and saw thousands and thousands and thousands of orphaned children in London come to Christ. Soon after he got saved, he began to pray for his friends to come to Christ and witness to them. After several months, one of them came to the Lord. He had five in the group. Ten years later, two others came to the Lord. It took 25 years for the fourth man to be saved, and he persevered, Mueller did, in prayer until his death. And he died without his fifth friend ever coming to Christ. He prayed for that fifth friend 52 years, every day interceding for his friend. And his faith was rewarded for soon after Mueller's death, the fifth friend came to Christ. Growing up, we used to sing a song. A song that is etched into some of our memories. A song about intercession and prayer. And it goes like this. How long has it been since you talked with the Lord and told Him your heart's hidden secrets? How long since you prayed how long since you stayed on your knees till the light shone through? How long has it been since your mind felt at ease? How long since your heart knew no burden? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew that he cared for you? How long has it been since you knelt by your bed and prayed to the Lord up in heaven? How long since you knew that he'd answer you and would keep you the long night through? How long has it been since you woke with the dawn and felt that the days were the living? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew that he cared for you? What the world needs is not a different person in political power. What the world needs is not some great antidote to every virus that will come down the pike. What the world needs is not a brilliant career move or a glorious speaker. 
what the world needs is a church full of intercessors. People who will pray. People who will partner together with God. And people who will lift the needs of others to Christ. How long has it been? How long has it been? Not since you came to church. Not since you read the Word. All those things are wonderful. How long has it been since you've been in prayer for those truly in need? Those truly who need the Gospel. I think we could make this argument according to the Scripture. And they work in tandem. But witnessing is so valuable and so important in Scripture. But witnessing without intercession is weak at best. God calls us to be intercessors. Would to God that we would all intercede for those who are around us. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.